This is What the FC. I'm Will Martin. And I'm Matt McCutcheon. MLS is weird, and we love a good story. Let's go. Welcome back to What the FC. You are listening to episode 13, where we'll be doing a tier list of Major League Soccer teams by spending power. Uh, With all the Charlotte FC transfer rumors flying around, Matt and I wanted to know more about where the franchise is going to land in the hierarchy of MLS spending. So I spent a lot of time making some pretty color-coded Excel spreadsheets and sorting each team into one of six spending tiers. We'll spend this episode going through those tiers and trying to figure out, in the process, how much money is Charlotte FC going to spend, and thus maybe how much success, what kind of big names can we expect to see in Charlotte? So Matt, are you excited for this one? I'm very excited. I'm very impressed with the amount of research and effort that you've put into this, and so uh, I'm, I'm very excited to see how it turns out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think important to mention where we're going with this. So uh, trying to figure out how much Charlotte FC is going to spend, we don't know yet. They've only made three transfers. Yeah. One inter-MLS uh, transfer with Brant Bronico, and then two outside with Sergio Ruiz and Riley McGree. So we don't know a lot. We don't have enough data to really determine where they're going to land, which, which is making this a little bit more difficult. Yeah, and so thus we can't really look at the numbers, which we're going to be looking at all the other teams numbers and everything we have to understand charlotte fc's character qualities in terms of statements made by club officials by david tepper by um by tom glick and all those uh higher ups within charlotte fc and so hopefully as we go down and look at all the numbers spent in each tier we can decipher kind of trends and character qualities within each tier And then from those trends and qualities from each tier, we can compare those with the trends and qualities that Charlotte FC, either we hope that they'll possess or some qualities that they've already stated that they want to possess or replicate or, or what have you, so that then we can have some understanding from there how much money they're probably going to be spending in terms of player acquisition, salary, costs, and everything like that. Right. So a little roadmap of where this episode is going. First, I'm going to outline for you guys how I found the numbers and what numbers we are using. And then I'm going to outline kind of the overview of the tiers so you guys get kind of a snapshot of what we're doing here. Then we're going to bring it back down and we're going to outline which teams are in which tiers. And at that point, we're going to try to figure out what's the defining characteristic of each tier outside of just the numbers. And then that's going to help us at the end figure out, okay, what characteristics that we know about Charlotte FC will help us figure out which spending tier they're going to be in. So let's get straight into it. Here's how I found all of these numbers. So in order to figure out how much each team spent on players, and remember this is players only, uh, we didn't include like front office salaries or infrastructure investment into this. This is just about player acquisitions. So we looked at two things. 
Uh, we looked at the amount spent on transfers over the last five years and the amount spent on player salaries over the same period of time. So for transfers, all I did was go on transfermarket.com, which is an awesome resource. And I found the amount spent by each MLS team each year dating back to 2016. So that's five years of data. And I averaged each of those uh, out to get an average transfer fee spend yearly for each team. Similarly, with the salaries, the MLS Players Association, the MLSPA, they released the salary data of all their members, which is all the players in Major League Soccer. Uh, unfortunately, they did not release the 2020 data because of pandemic-related reasons, and that's happened with a lot of stuff this year. So. Uh, instead of having five years of data, we only have four years of data there. So we took uh, each year from 2016 through 2019, averaged it together, and found the average yearly spend on salaries for each team. And then I just took those two figures and added them together. And that gave me the overall yearly average spend on players for each MLS team since 2016. And this figure is mostly what we use to determine which team went in which tier. Yes, and very nice, colorful little spreadsheet and everything that oh yeah it looks great it in and wow it looks very nice. very, it's just very pleasing and we've been working on this episode for a while so i've gotten to look at my pretty spreadsheet for quite a <laughs> <Yeah>. while now <laughs> so let's give you guys a quick overview of what each tier looks like so you have some context once we get into this so we've got six tiers we have f d c b a and s plus Obviously, F is going to be our lowest spending teams, and S plus is going to be our highest spending teams. So for the F tier, F tier teams spend $8 million per year on transfers and player salaries. The D tier is a million dollars up from that. The D tier spends nine to nine and a half million dollars per year. Then the C tier spends nine and a half to eleven and a half million dollars per year. And the B tier spends 10.5 to 12.5 million per year. So obviously with C and B, we've got some overlap here. And the way we kind of sorted this out is C and down is roughly the bottom 50% of the league. Yeah. B and up is roughly the top 50% of the league. And the way we divided this was if you're C and down, you're really only filling one to two of your max three DP slots. If you're in B or up, you are almost always filling all three DP slots. So since the middle kind of got fuzzy in terms yeah. of overall spend, that's how we determined whether you went in C or whether you went in B. Yeah, and so when when we're saying that it's the top 50% or bottom 50%, it's the yeah. top 50% of spending and the bottom 50% on spending, not necessarily the top 50% in terms of the most successful yes. teams or best teams in MLS. Just wanted to reiterate that yeah. um, just to reinforce that idea. Yeah, no, that's a good caveat. It's important to remember here, this is not about success. This is purely about spend. Yeah. And then uh, to finish this off, if you're in A tier, which is the second from the top, you're spending 15 to $19 million per year. So that's a big wow. $3.5 million jump from the B tier. And then S plus tier is another $3 million up and they spend 22 to $26 million per year. So A and S plus are kind of in their own world and there's much finer margins between F, D, C, and B, uh, which is definitely interesting. So now that you know what the range is, we're looking at anywhere from $8 million per year all the way up to $26 million per year. Let's find out 
who is in each tier. And there's definitely some teams in here that really surprised me. There were some teams that were in some tiers that I did not expect. So I'm curious what you guys are going to think of this. And again, remember, strictly based on money spent on players, nothing else is factored in. They're not a reflection of the success a franchise has had. So what we're gonna do is give the teams in each tier and then give the major characteristic takeaway from each tier. And then at the end, we'll wrap back to where Charlotte FC fits in. So we'll Perfect. start at the bottom. Let's start with F tier. Yeah. So just a reminder, F tier, they spend on average about $8 million per year. And there's a single team in that tier, and that is Houston Dynamo. And that's pretty self-explanatory. They've gone through a recent um, rebranding. And so we're hoping that maybe they're going to lead to future success, more spending, a little bit more identifiable, but different characteristics that Houston really possesses. They, they lack a clear identity vision and mission of the club there's just overall not a ton of spending in terms of salary or player acquisition in terms of transfers or so so i guess they'd be hoping houston fans and the houston executives is that with this rebrand that they're going to be moving into a more identifiable vision in terms of are they going to be focusing on developing youth or are they going to be focusing on buying a little bit more high profile uh, targets and stuff that would hopefully propel them for success. Yeah. Uh, poor old Houston Dynamo are sitting all by themselves in F tier. And I didn't want to do it to them, but they spend a <laughs> million dollars less than the next closest team to them. Uh, they spend $8,069,000. Uh, and then the next team up spends $8.9 million. So it's just, I really had no choice but to put them all on F tier. And we can only hope that the rebrand means increased investment and they'll pull themselves out of this tier and we'd have to rejig the whole way we did this thing. Yes. Uh, that's all Houston fans can hope for. And I think fans across MLS can hope for. So let's quickly move on to D tier. There's nothing else to ha uh, talk about there with F tier. So in D tier, we have... Yes, in D tier, we have FC Dallas, we have Philadelphia Union, New York Red Bulls, San Jose Earthquakes, and Real Salt Lake. Yeah, so there's a quick theme there that's pretty easy to yes, pull out. exactly. So before we get to those characteristics, just a reminder, these teams spend about 9 to $9.5 million per year. And as Will alluded to, all these teams are academy-driven. It's based off of having space in the first um, starting 11 to bring through academy homegrowns. First team is not super saturated with big names, designated players, or you know, big TAM players. Mm -hmm. And they do still have a few of these players. You know, they need to have someone to lead these younger players into yeah. the playoffs or just even in the regular season as, you know, good role models or good teammates and leaders that they can learn from and carry the the majority of the workload on the team. But it's not the basis of their no, roster building. it is not the yeah. core of their uh, of their roster and so i think the most you know glaring um example from the list that we just stated is fc dallas yeah they've produced sure. talents that they've gone on to sign obviously with homegrown talents like kellen acosta paxton palmacall brian reynolds who is now linked with the move reggie cannon who they sold to boa vista and then jesus ferreira who's their number nine who's now playing yeah. with the u.s men's national team and you on know, and off yeah yeah on and off but yeah. then uh they have lesser known guys like brandon Cervania yeah and others but just on their lot on their roster alone they had 10 homegrown players yeah we looked at that right right before here just to kind of confirm that number and that's pretty crazy as well as two guys that came through the super draft and 
So it's pretty obvious that 10 out of, you know, whatever it was, 28, 30 slots were all homegrown contracts, which is pretty incredible. And FC Dallas for a while has been kind of the premier academy in Major League Soccer. Um, There are other very good ones. I mean, obviously the Red Bulls Academy, the Union Academy recently has had great results. Real Salt Lake has always uh, done very well with their academy based uh, out of Arizona previously. And then the Earthquakes do a good job as well with that. But SC Dallas are definitely the cream of the crop there. Um, They've also got some guys that came through the academy that never signed a first-team contract. I mean, Weston McKinney at Juventus, current uh, winner of best male player for U.S. soccer. Uh, Chris Richards at Bayern Munich, who is looking like a future center back or right back for Bayern Munich and a future center back. They lost both those guys for free. Uh, And if you want to know why they lost them for free, go on back to our pay-to-play episode and you'll find out the different arguments there. That is a long conversation that does not belong on this episode. But if you're curious about that, go to the episode that episode um and then again like they do have some dps they have frank o'hara and brian acosta both as kind of lower end dps yeah but these d tier teams have fully committed to the academy build completely and fully committed to that and that doesn't mean they haven't been successful philadelphia union won the supporter shield this year fc dallas are consistently in the playoffs it's just a different way of going about it, and it saves you more money. And they're probably investing a lot more money in Academy, right, which yeah. isn't factored here. Yeah. So take what you will from that. But let's go ahead and move on to the C tier, all right? So remember, this one is $9.5 to $11.5 million per year, so just above that D tier again. But who yeah. do we have here? Yeah, so and this one is kind of intermingled with the B tier. Uh, like we said, there's a little bit of overlap in yeah. between spending, but, um, so starting off, we got DC United, Colorado Rapids, Montreal Impact and FC Cincinnati. Pretty soon this episode's going to be completely outdated because it's not going to be Montreal Impact anymore. Yes. So, They're uh, yeah. about to rebrand and they've been dragging it out for Dude, a while. I've been so. wondering what the heck the, the on Instagram and stuff, they yeah. keep on posting these years like and stuff. cryptic yeah. things, but the, the rebrand's coming. So if you're listening yes. to this episode a little bit further down the line, we recorded this on what's today, January 14th, uh, something like that. And yeah. so w- it might be a little bit out of date by the time you listen to it, but uh, that's yeah. a completely random thought. Sorry, keep going. Well, I mean, that kind of <laughs> factors into the characteristics. Yeah, so true. the reason why uh, Montreal Impact are going to be going through a rebrand is because their current branding is very ambiguous. Yeah. And so there's no real distinction between an academy focus or a transfer focus because they aren't fully academy driven and identity because they you know they spend about one to three million more than the d tier because of older player contracts and a few more transfers and so because they lack that youth that they want to be central to their team they're having to fill out their roster a little bit more and invest more into their roster yeah but they're just not going for those star signings and everything that is going to look similar to the higher tier, spend the higher transfer um, money. and stuff Right. Like that. Yes. The C tier is a weird liminal space to occupy in major league soccer because they haven't really fully bought into just fully going into the academy, but they also aren't on the up and up like the B tier teams are, which yeah. we're going to talk about in a minute. They're just kind of stuck where they are and because they don't have as many cheap homegrown contracts like an FC Dallas would have, their wage budget slightly higher, which is yeah. why they spend slightly more than those teams. But 
they aren't really seeing any more success and often are seeing much less success than the teams below them in that D tier. Um, Colorado Rapids are a perfect example of this. Like they have a couple Academy products that have come through. I think we said they had six homegrowns in the roster. So they're doing a little bit better and maybe they're going towards that homegrown identity, but like Cole Bassett and Sam Vines are both on the national team radar to name two. Um, But they only have one DP and they've got that small transfer budget that aligns with the D tier, but a bigger wage budget because of what you said, because of those, they have more 27, 28, 29 yeah. year olds, 30 year olds that are on bigger contracts rather than 20, 21, 22 year olds that are on cheap reserve minimum contracts and yeah, stuff that exactly. keep the cost down and just leads to a lot of mediocrity. Uh, this yes. is not the space you want to be in, in major league no. soccer. Uh, it's, it just is a cycle of mediocrity. You get stuck in a bad contract and you're not spending enough money to get yourself out of it, but you're not investing enough in the academy to get yourself out of it. These teams, I think, really need to sort out what they want to be. Yeah, and so C-tier, just associate them with teams that are probably going to go through a rebrand of some sort or different uh, executives or different managers or GMs or whatever in in the near future. Yeah, there's probably a lot of turnover at these clubs, not a real great identity. Exactly. Exactly. kind of easy to identify them, I think. Yes. Um, so let's move on up to the B tier. Um, and B tier is 10.5 to $12.5 million per year. So that's got some overlap with the C tier, which was 9.5 to 11.5. But the difference here, like I mentioned in the overview, is that these B tier teams normally have three, all three DPs. Yeah. Whereas those C tier teams only really have one to two. And that's how we decided if you went in B or you went in C. So uh, shoot me with the B tier teams and tell me about their characteristics. Yes. So in B tier, we have New England Revolution, Columbus Crew, Vancouver Whitecaps, Minnesota United, Sporting Kansas City, and lastly, Orlando City. Yep. And so with all those teams, like Will said, is that they have. Uh, three DP spots locked down. These teams are recently expanding overall player budget. And so because the data that we used or data that Will acquired, uh, it's all within the last five years. So these teams lack of spending four or five years ago likely drags them down. So you have a lot of teams like Orlando City, Minnesota United, and New England Revolution uh, that have spent a ton of money in recent years. Yeah. That kind of negates that bumps them up technically with their overall spending or right. whatever. So yeah, yeah, these are kind of teams that like if I'd only averaged the last two years, they probably would have been much higher. Yeah. But because I averaged five years together, they weren't spending the money four to five years ago. So really the way you identify a B tier team for us is that these are teams that you're seeing statements of intent from coaches, ownership, front office about hey, we are entering a new era. We're spending more. We're going to keep up with the higher spending trend in Major League Soccer that's happened in the last yeah. six to seven to eight years. Uh, and I think it's pretty obvious how this goes. I mean, Toronto FC, yep. who we haven't gotten to, obviously, so they're in a top tier at this point, in the early 2010s made a similar decision mm-hmm. to this. So they were a very low-spending team. We're pretty much the laughing stock of the league. And then they brought in Tim Bezbachenko and just injected cash into the club yeah. and dramatically turned their fortunes around. So B-tier teams are on the up and up. And yes. they're teams that will probably be spending maybe at an A-tier level if we do this again in three years. Yeah, and it, and recent example compared to like Toronto, 
would be New England Revolution. Yeah. Since hiring Bruce Arena, the Crafts have been more involved in pledging to spend more money. The and, Crafts are their owners. Yeah, their owners, yeah. yes. And so uh, you can see this with the acquisition of Gustavo Bo, Carlos Heel, and Adam Buxa, which yeah. are their three DPs. And they've been producing very, very well, at least with um, Carlos Heel and Gustavo Bo. Yeah. As you can see in the previous playoffs, that they, they really propelled them to really high success that I predicted in my, uh, in my <laughs> fair flight, <laughs> the fair only flight. prediction that I had, did I have, someone... did I seriously have them going out in the first round? Yeah. I did have them losing to Montreal. Didn't yep. I? Oh, yep. I'm so ashamed of that. Now that's a brutal pick from me. I think, I don't think I, at that time I appreciated how good heel and bow and books yeah. to an extent were. Um, but yeah, I mean for sure, right? Like the crafts were completely disinterested in this franchise yeah. for so long. And then Bruce Arena came in and all of a sudden, I think they've woken up to soccer starting to become big in this country yeah. and have realized that if they don't start spending now, their franchise is going to come become completely irrelevant. And now they've started splashing the cash again, which is good to see. We all want the New England Revolution and our original MLS franchise. Yeah. We want to see them back at the top of the league, yeah. clearly, I just as a general MLS fan. Um, Sporting Kansas City are another great example of this. Uh, Peter Vermees is the head coach and technical director over there. Does a little Bill Belichick style yep. uh, management. Um, and he really used to build this team through free transfers and especially the super draft. Yeah. Back when the super draft was much more pivotal to MLS. I mean, think Matt Beasler, Graham Zussi, Seth Snovic, big names. Two of those are big national team names that have been cornerstones of that franchise for so long. Matt Beasler recently went to Austin FC and they all came through the super draft. Now, that just doesn't happen anymore. And for the longest, Sporting Kansas City was kind of stuck still in that old model. But in the last two years, they've really started to crank up the spend, um, most obviously with Alan Polito, their number mm -hmm. nine, who they brought in on a $9 million transfer. Huge. It's a huge statement of intent from them. So to kind of sum up B tier, these are teams that are on the up and up in terms of spending. Yeah. They are starting to spend far more than they did even four to five years ago. Um, even teams like Vancouver Whitecaps have are bringing like yeah. Lucas Cavallini, who's a the Canadian starting number nine, and um, Minnesota United with Reynoso and Orlando City paying Nani a crap ton of money. Yeah. These are teams <laughs> that previously weren't spending a lot of money, and maybe we haven't shifted our perception of them yet uh, quite enough, whether that's because of success with Vancouver or stuff like that. So. Yeah, but it, it is also important to reiterate and clarify that from this point on, everyone is trying to bring through good academy players to supplement their roster and maybe get one or two stars out of them. Like you look at yeah. with Kansas City, they got uh, Gianluca Busio. Right. And so you, you're in Orlando City, you got Daryl DK. Well, I guess it wouldn't be academy, but like younger development, younger development and stuff. Yeah. You can see that throughout each team. And especially with New England Revolution this uh, season, they have that outside back who they transitioned from a winger to yeah, outside yeah. back. But Tejan Buchanan yeah, Tejan and Henry Buchanan. Kessler were both actually, I think, super draft guys. But yes. again, the young player Young model. player development yeah. or, or, or homegrown as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, but it's supplemental. It's not primary. It's not how they're trying to make all their revenue, similar to how Philadelphia, New York Red Bulls, or FC Dallas are making a lot of their yeah. revenue. So I just wanted to remind people of that of being like, oh, well, I mean, look at Kansas City. They yeah. got Busio. Like, don't forget yeah. about you know, they have a good academy as yeah. well. It's like, yes, all these teams had the funds to yeah, have B a good academy. B tier and up. B tier yeah. and up are all tr to varying degrees of success. And some aren't. Some aren't. Uh, yeah. we'll, we'll talk about some that aren't. But for the most part, they're trying to do some academy stuff. It's just so varying and it doesn't really fit in the tiers. So we're not going to discuss it too much more yeah uh, the d tier was the academy tier the c tier are teams that 
maybe you got to decide one way or the other. Yeah. And then B tier and up are all kind of trying to do a little bit of that, but it's not their primary roster building mechanism. So let's keep it moving and let's go on up to the top two tiers, which we're going to discuss together. So A tier and S plus tier. So this is where a big jump in yeah. finances is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, giant. As a reminder, B tier was $10.5 to $12.5 million per year. And we were complimenting them for starting to invest more money. Yeah. A tier is 15 to $19 million per, per year, year. Per year. That's salaries and transfers. And then S plus is 22 to $26 million per year. So... Tell us who's spending the big money in MLS. Yeah, so starting off with the bottom half of that with uh, the A tier, we have Seattle Sounders, Chicago Fire, which surprised me a lot. Yes, yeah, so that and was just one of my this one in Vancouver being in B were my two big surprises. Yes, and then we have Portland Timbers and NYCFC, and so that's all of the A tier. Mm-hmm. And then we get to the big ballers, the S plus tier with LA Galaxy, LAFC. Atlanta United and Toronto FC. Yeah, I think anyone could have predicted that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so with all of these teams, these are all like traditional big market teams. And the only exceptions that aren't included in this is, you know, Boston with New England Revolution, Philadelphia Union, and DC United. Yeah, um, those, those are other typical big American sports yes. markets, but just traditionally haven't been big soccer markets which maybe is an indictment on their mls team Uh, you can go back and forth on that but but generally like all of our big market teams are here in these top two tiers and i'm sure fancy other teams are going to be aggrieved at us like trust me we live in charlotte like we know that argument like we're a big market now like uh, i don't know so anyways (laughs) keep going (laughs) yeah but um like you said uh a and s plus are spending bigger money because of higher expectations higher revenue so in terms of attendance and everything like that and richer owners so in, in terms of like addressing this, you have like Portland Timbers, which Portland isn't a major market in the United States, but is a major soccer market right. where they're selling out season tickets every year with like a ten to 15,000 waiting list um, yeah. for season tickets. Yeah, they're, they're so ridiculous soccer market. Don't have to worry about game day revenue. No. Match day revenue is on lock. Which we've established before is a major part of major part. Major League Soccer's revenue because of the low broadcasting deals. But then you move that to Atlanta united who are consistently selling out fifty six thousand yeah. like seats per game then you move that cap of being like okay yes they can go and spend 20 million dollars consistently in a single transfer window and that's not going to be super surprising they'll spend fifteen thousand dollars on um pity martinez 15 million 15 15 million you said yeah. fifteen thousand. Oh, oh, 15 million big yeah. difference yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, 15,000 for pity would be a bargain. Yeah, bargain. No, 15 million for pity Martinez and not get too troubled about flipping him for a profit of 2 million, even though he didn't give him that guaranteed success as as they were hoping. But they can buy Pity Martinez and maybe a couple other players as well, and right. that's like not a one signing, and that's the, that's it in there. Um, yeah, it's they have bigger revenue, they have much richer owners and, uh, and infrastructure and everything in, yeah. in terms of Atlanta compared to Portland, and so that's kind of when you start seeing the discrepancies between you know these B tier celebrities that are getting bought and the A tier. So you look at Carlos Vela as your number one DP for LAFC and then Nico Ladero yeah. for Seattle Sounders. 
as a for in, any MLS fan or any MLS junkie, you would be like screaming at me saying that there is no difference between them, that yeah. they're equal. But in terms of notoriety, marketability, in terms of marketability, you you don't see someone. I mean, I don't see a casual fan of soccer knowing Nico Ladero compared yeah. to Car- uh, Carlos Vela. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's for just sure. being exposed in Europe or what have you. Yeah. My, I mean, we're talking about Carlos Vela being if he was still playing for the Mexican national team, like yeah. the star of the Mexican national team versus Nico Lodero. We're just happy that, Oh, Nico Lodero is a guy that gets caps yeah. for his national team Uruguay. So, for Uruguay. Yeah. So there's a kind of difference there. Big distinction. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's kind of what we ultimately figured out was the difference. A tier and S plus tier are all big market teams, whether that's big soccer market like Portland or just big market like New York city and LA and Toronto. Um, but really the difference that we're finding here is the big players that A-tier teams are bringing in are like your B-list celebrities and S-plus tier are bringing in those A-list celebrities. Toronto, you can look at Josie Altidore and Michael Bradley, who Giovinco. when you're talking about a North American league, Giovinco are really big A-list celebrities. And then you've got Seattle who are bringing in, I mean, Rui Diaz and Nuka Ladera have been two of the best players in the league, Yeah, but they're not exactly big superstars that are like A-list celebrities. So exactly a very slight difference there, but that was the biggest difference we could find that will help you identify between the two tiers and help us start to figure out where Charlotte FC is going to fit into this. Right. So, um, Oh, and then the one uh, thing that I also found interesting, Chicago, for one, uh, just some like random notes here. Chicago are def. The problem is not them spending money. Clearly, no. they are solidly in A tier, spending sixteen point three million dollars per year over the last five years. The problem is the people they're spending the money on. Clearly, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of problems there with that organization. They're a huge market that we that MLS. Need. needs so they're spending the money we just need them to start making i guess better decisions yeah. and, and they're and they're going through another rebrand they yeah, another, they, they acknowledge yeah they acknowledge that they messed it, up it didn't work yeah it didn't work and so they're going through like a more interactive with the fan base in terms of they have you know accepting different suggestions and stuff yeah, yeah. suggestions and stuff and and drafts and yeah. and ideas uh, which is really cool. I'll be excited to see what how do. that logo turns out. I swear, if it's any worse than what they have, it is like going to be impressive. Oh my gosh! Um, yeah. And then Portland's the other interesting one for me. I feel like the thing we were talking about with Portland yeah. is we didn't feel like Portland spent in the A tier, no. but they spend sixteen point five million. They actually spend one point five million dollars more than Seattle. But when we think of the two, it because Portland's a smaller market and stuff, we feel. Think of them as the step little stepbrother of yeah. Seattle. And I think that also has to do with their play style. Because they're so committed to this like sit and counter style with Diego Chara in, sitting in midfield and Diego Valeri pulling the strings and uh, players like Sebastian Blanco playing on the break, Yimmy Chara playing on the break. We feel like they don't spend a lot of money because I think we associate like bottom side Premier League teams with that sit and counter style. Yeah. Whereas Portland are spending money to be successful with that yeah, style, which have, I just think is interesting. And it's an interesting, different way to perceive Portland. I definitely perceive them differently having done this research. Yeah. Now. So the majority of these teams in A and S plus have a clearly defined like system yeah. in terms of how they play. And they have the money in order to acquire like those DPs in mm-hmm. order to fit those with the other teams. Maybe just a lack of appeal. They'll get whatever high quality DP that they can get 
and then form a system around them and hope that they fit. Yeah. Um, or you have <laughs> LA Galaxy who just buy a bunch of DPs and hope that they're good enough to fit in whatever and yeah. just think that, you know, having nice ingredients will make a nice meal. Whatever. You we'll know. see. Hopefully yeah. Greg Vanny helps them get back on track. LA yeah. Galaxy are a big name. They... MLS, because of LA Galaxy's brand recognition, needs the Galaxy to do well, yes. uh, quite honestly, as they want to increase their brand. And the LA Galaxy need to do a lot better job of taking advantage of their academy, but that's a whole other episode. Yep. So let's get into the whole point of us doing this episode. Yes. Where the heck is Charlotte FC going to land in this MLS hierarchy? And again, we don't know quantitatively how much money they're going to spend for the other teams. We had five plus years of data to look at. Yeah. We didn't include the expansion teams like inter Miami, Austin FC and Nashville, but I think it's pretty clear inter Miami are going to be S plus. They're just splashing cash over yeah. there. And then it's pretty clear. I think that Nashville are like a CB and then yeah. Austin are probably like a B, but we'll see where they land. We, again, don't have enough data for them, and we're not going to dive into their characteristics. But what we need to do with Charlotte is they've only made three transfers. We need to look at what are some of the characteristics of those tiers that we talked about and what are the characteristics we know about Charlotte FC so far to try to make some predictions for the fan base on where they're going to land. And I know you've got some thoughts on this for sure. Yeah, so I think the number one thing that I'm looking at is statements from the owner and his other companies, so David Tepper, who owns the Carolina Panthers, as well as Charlotte FC. So the Panthers are our sister company. There are a lot of overlapping executives or overlapping individuals working in both uh, organizations. They play in the same stadium, similar facilities. They'll have their HQ at their facilities in mm -hmm. Rock Hill or what have yeah, you, like their executive Hill, yeah. facilities all over there. Yeah, I think the way the structure works out is you've got step Tepper Sports and Entertainment Group mm -hmm. as the parent company, and Tom Glick is the overall president of that. Yes. And then the, I forget his name right now, and I feel bad, but the guy we um, just hired as the from Anschwitz Budweiser, he's going to be the president of the soccer side for Charlotte FC, Anheuser-Busch. Oh, yeah. I don't, oh, I'm, it's Anschwitz is the uh, parent company of um, LA Galaxy. Okay, gotcha. Uh, something like that. I've probably butchered that. Sorry. Sorry, LA Galaxy fans, or sorry anyone that knows more than me on that. I've completely butchered Nick that Kelly. whole analogy. Nick Kelly. Yeah, Nick Kelly. And then the president of the Panthers, the president of the Panthers. Yes. And that's kind of how it boils down. So yes. we can look at what Tom Glick has said for the whole franchise because he has stuff to yes. do with the Panthers. He has the total vision of yeah. the Panthers and uh, Charlotte FC and the mission and everything like that yeah. that are so crucial and important to understanding how they function as an organization, their culture and everything yeah. like that. And we can look at the things like you're probably about to say here, what David Tepper has said he wants to do with Carolina Panthers because yeah. there's so much more coverage of them right now because they're actually playing. They have a history. Yeah, of, exactly. And he has things he needs to come in and change. So we can kind of extrapolate that what he says about the Panthers is also going to be true for the structure of Charlotte FC. Yeah. So go on. I don't mean to steal your yeah, steam Yeah, no, no, there. no. You're good. Um, and so with David Tepper, he was in an interview, and uh, I think it was after the recent firing of their GM and uh, of the Carolina Panthers, and he just said that they just didn't see eye to eye, different philosophies, and, you know, that's totally fine. And uh, so the GM had a more traditional style of philosophy in terms of player acquisition and scouting and everything like that. And Dave Tepper is 
wanting to modernize the uh, Panthers organization. You can look at our social media content and the entertainment aspect of, of the Panthers. You look at their Instagram and YouTube and Twitter and everything. And it's so good. And it's been really, really fun to watch that and be a little bit more connected with the organization, even though, you know, NFL isn't probably my main sport that I'm going to watch. It's still something I'm going to support. But anyway, so when justifying his decision, he was saying how, his vision for the Panthers, David Tepper, that is, is that he wants to create a modern, integrated, a horizontal level of organization. Yeah. yeah, organization and management. So his vision is that he wants the his office, Tom Glicks, uh, he wants Nick Kelly and whatever president of the Panthers is, yeah. all their offices and their associated GMs for the Panthers and Charlotte FC and their head coaches of each team and the director of scouting for each team, all to be on the same floor and within shouting distance so yeah. that they can run all of their ideas with each other. And so that he said the so there's not as much siloed thinking. And so that one department has got this one mission that they're going to be running the entire time. And so that there's less dysfunction and different agendas. And so it's more integrated, more fluid. And so, and much more data driven. Yeah. Data driven. He wants to go towards a money ball approach and Mm -hmm. being a lot more scientific. And of course he's a, you know, stockbroker, hedge fund manager. And so that's his whole background of statistics and Mm -hmm. everything. And so he wants to know that his, when he's getting a player, he knows that they're statistically going to be proven yeah. uh, to perform well and, and for a good price, too, yeah. obviously. And that's what every MLS team necessarily is their goal. But right, same here for Charlotte FC. So with that being said, I'm predicting that they're going to be kind of an A or B tier of spending. Mm-hmm. I, I think they're going to have three DP slots nailed down that like signed, sealed, delivered. But I don't think they're going to be yeah. 100% academy driven. David Tepper said that he wants to directly compete with uh, with the Dirty Birds uh, in Atlanta and at Atlanta United. And yeah, that's what, that's what I'm gonna ask you there is so defend that a little bit in that I feel like with David Tepper coming out at the very beginning there where he's like screw that city and stoking that rivalry with Atlanta, I think everyone's just started to assume. Arthur Blank's down there building a dome stadium, splashing 15, 17, 18 million dollars on transfers. David Tepper's just going to come in here and just match him and just throw cash around. But what you're saying is you think based on the signs we've seen so far with the Panthers that that's not going to be the case. Yeah, I mean, he bought the Panthers with cash and so you're like, "Okay, this guy's got money to burn." But Yeah. You know, we signed Christian McCaffrey to a big contract extension, but we then we went and got Teddy Bridgewater in terms of free agency and stuff. And so more of like a solid player, but not super expensive. You don't see us making these gigantic acquisitions in terms of the Panthers and stuff. It's more strategic. And I think that's what we're going to continue doing for Charlotte FC. You look at Riley McGee and Sergio Ruiz. I've been like keeping up through different outlets and stuff uh, in terms of how they're performing. They're performing well for their respective teams and having good player ratings. And I think that those aren't going to be our DPs. Those are just going to be international slots, but they're good players. And and I think that it's going to be a little bit more tactical. I don't think that he's going to let his emotions get ahead of him. He wants to make sure that every dollar is being well spent and allocated properly. Yeah. Um, but I don't know that that's kind of my opinion. I think we're going to have a clear vision. 
I think with our DPs, it's going to be similar to uh, LAFC in terms of having a couple young like DPs and yeah. one older sign sealed delivered. I've already said that, but like yeah. uh, someone who's guaranteed to have success and sell mm-hmm. a lot of shirts like Carlos Vela. Yeah. I think we'll have someone like that, but also a little bit more academy driven in terms yeah. of our DP or youth driven is the better word mm-hmm. um, with our DPs and stuff. Yeah, I, I think... I think the comparison, I agree with you. I think the comparison with what Arthur Blank and the whole Atlanta United organization is doing is a bit of a red herring. I think that David Tepper's personality, where he got the money coming from as a hedge fund manager, what we're seeing with him creating a more modern horizontal structure that's very analytics driven um, around both franchises that he now owns here in Charlotte. I think that he's looking much more at someone like Seattle as his model. And to give some numbers to that, Seattle is kind of at the bottom of the A tier. They've averaged spending $15 million per year, which isn't just like chump change, right? But it's in terms of MLS, that's a lot. But in terms of the rest of the world and other American sports leagues in the NFL, it's it's nothing. Even compared to Toronto, it's a ten million dollar yeah, exactly. difference. But then you've got Atlanta United, who average twenty four point five million, almost double yeah. of what Seattle are spending, and Seattle have been more sustainably successful than Atlanta have. Yes, Atlanta have been flipping guys for money and stuff. So I mean, we're not looking at their profit margins here, but I think David Tepper's looking at that and saying we can be more analytics driven, and we don't have to be spending twelve million dollars on transfers like Atlanta United are, which is four million dollars more than second place in LAFC. We can be like Seattle and bring in big players and bring in players that are going to be marketable for me and a good mix. But I think the signs that we're seeing from him and from the organization that he's building, I don't think we're just going to come in here like Inter-Miami did this year and just splash cash. There's another thing. He's probably looking at Inter-Miami right now. Just because you spend, I think they spent $26 just this year. We'll see how that averages out over a longer period of time, but... That's a ridiculous amount of money to get into the final playoff spot of an expanded Eastern Conference finish in 10th, right? And mm-hmm. they were in the 10-7 matchup in the play-in round and got trashed by Nashville. Fire who, their head coach after one year. Who Na- Nashville, who's probably like in the C or B tier of spending in MLS, fired their coach. It's a disaster over there. And that's how that's that's unorganized spending yes. right there. And it's irresponsible spending. And that's not David Tepper at all. Yeah, at and and he all. will not live for it. And no. like you look at the Panthers this season, they underperformed. GM gone. Yeah. Yeah. You had a couple of years to try and prove yourself. Your system yeah. didn't work. I now have justification for my presuppositions of you know the system yeah. that I want to have. Yeah, yeah. And, and look, we've seen from. I mean, David Tepper made uh, Matt Rule the highest, given gave him the biggest contract for head coaches in the NFL. Completely reset the market for coaches. Yeah. He's not going to be afraid if he. If his scouting team identifies a $15 million player and they think it's a smart investment that year, I'm not saying, and I don't think either of us are saying he's not going to pull that trigger, yeah. but he's not just going to go in like Inter-Miami have and just spend money aimlessly mm-hmm. or like Atlanta United did when they brought in Frank DeBoer and then brought in Pitti Martinez who completely contradicted the style. Mm-hmm. It just, none of that 
makes sense from an organizational standpoint. I think David Tepper is going to create an organization that's going to be much more intelligent than that um, and much more cohesive in their investments mm-hmm. than that. And, so and that, I, I still am very positive about it. Yeah. We're going to be in we're going to be in the A tier of spending for me, yeah. but it's just not going to be crazy money. Yeah, and, and, and year one maybe it's a little less, and he builds into it, but semantics yeah exactly and so i think it's something that we're going to build into i don't think it's going to be an instant success i mean as much as i'd hope that it is Mm -hmm. i I just don't think that that's really the the worry for tepper he's never i mean heck he he did hedge funds yeah that is all about looking at future like long-term uh futures of success and so i don't think that he's going to be here for a short time in order to make some quick money or anything but He's going to be really methodical about it. And uh, yeah, so I think that that's, I'm pretty happy with, yeah, with those feel, predictions. We, we, we've and, agreed. We yes. think A tier. We think that 15 to $19 million of smart investment. Three DPs. Um, three DPs for sure. I, I think we're going to definitely fill those three DPs. The way MLS works out, we might not have three DPs filled right at the beginning I mean, of the season. Yeah, no. He might get one or two of them in the summer transfer window because yeah. that's when bigger players are normally available. But he's definitely going to fill those. We're definitely going to be in that top 50% of the league. And I hope this was helpful for you guys in starting to understand what the spending landscape of Major League Soccer is and where the disparities are and hopefully where Charlotte FC is going to fit in when they finally get around to playing Jeez, I can't wait in spring year. 2022. It feels ages off right now, but I'm sure it's going to completely sneak up on us tomorrow. So on that note, I am Will Martin. And I'm Matt McCutcheon. And this is What the FC. What the FC.